of five o'clock uh, on Christmas Eve. Next Sunday, uh, is we're going to take a break from uh, Luke and we're going to look at the year in review. Um, special service there. Our, our midweek classes are on a break right now and we will be restarting. Uh, Scott has a class uh, on how we got the Bible. Where did the Bible come from? And Barry is going to do the Sermon 2.0 series as well. That'll be starting in January on the 6th. We are still seeking winter coats, clothing, and blankets. Um, if you need information, contact the church office. It's getting cold out there. So let's show our love and share what God has shared with us. For additional details, as I said, you can call the church office. All right. So this week, as I was thinking about starting our service, reading Christmas stories, for me, it all starts in Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and she will name him Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God is with us. Matthew also quotes this verse from Isaiah in his description of the birth of Jesus. That's in Matthew 1.23. This morning, I encourage you to focus on the joy of Christmas. Instead of focusing on what COVID-19 has taken away from you, focus on what is sure and true. James says in first chapter, uh, verse 17, every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. He never changes. I invite you to walk with God in joy this week, to abide with him. You can start that walk this morning here with us. In Psalm, the psalmist, in Psalm 1611, the psalmist says, You will make known to me the way of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. So my question is, if Emmanuel, God with us, doesn't give you joy, then what will? Enjoy this week. It's very special. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can pause this moment, that we can remember what you have done, that is written down for us, Lord, that is true, that is verified, that we can trust that you will never change that you cared for us so much, that you shared your son with us, that he came, that he covered our sins, Lord, when we could not recover from our sins. Lord, this season, as we remember the birth of Jesus, it's the birth that leads to the death that saves us. Thank you, Lord. I ask that you take Scott's words, that you make them yours, and you speak to us through him. And that this begins our walk of joy this week. In Jesus' name, amen. And now, if you've got your communion material ready, if not, I suggest you run get it and I will introduce Barry.
Well, good morning, First Christian family, as always. Um, I pray your blessing. We miss you, and I miss seeing all your um, faces and feeling your presence, but I pray for your God's blessing in your homes as we share. So every year, um, as I go into the, into the Christmas season, I ask God to give me some kind of a, a word, a message, a theme, whatever, for the, the Christmas to focus on and that. And every year he's very faithful to do that and that. He gives me a word or a phrase or a picture and that. And this year, um, you know, the word that, that God gave me was that of peace. And I'm sure it's no accident that that was the word this year because our world and our lives are in desperate need of peace and that. Uh, but Peace is indeed one of the major themes of the Christmas story, um, and you see it all through the story. Um, early on, um, you know, in the prophets, you see in Isaiah 9, um, Jesus, the coming Messiah, is, is called the Prince of Peace. In the middle of the Christmas story, the shepherds, as they are proclaiming to the angels, they they proclaim peace among men on whom God's favor rests and that and so peace is indeed a major theme of Christmas but it's not intended to only be at Christmas time um, God has des designed his relationship with us to that peace be something we experience all the time and that and so so the challenge that I've been playing with is how do I bring peace into my household how do I bring peace into my personal life and that and to me that um, you know I can talk about peace as a, as a theme in Christmas but until I experience the reality of God's peace um, it's something that I really continue to pursue in that and so this morning I wanted to share a passage as we you know, think about Christmas celebration, I want to share a passage out of Philippians where the Apostle Paul is answering that question, how do I bring peace into my personal world? And that, and so, and that is my prayer for each of you as, as we celebrate communion this morning as you go through your Christmas celebration. So I'm going to go to Philippians chapter 4. Um, and here the Apostle Paul is focusing on how do we experience this peace that, that he has promised, that Jesus ushered into the world as the Messiah, as, as he came. And so Philippians 4, we're going to start with verse 6. It says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so the first point that Paul is making is that we need to turn all of our cares and worries over to God. And goodness knows this year has had its massive share of those. And, that, and yet it's still the same. God asks us to turn those things over to him to give what we can't control over to God. And so that was kind of Paul's first point. And then he goes on in verse 8, and he says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, 
If there is anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things and the things you've learned and received and heard from me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. And so the second point God, Paul was making in there and God is making to us is that peace comes when we focus on the Prince of Peace. Um, Paul said, it's all about what we focus on. If we choose to focus on our troubles, that's where our heart's going to be, and we won't experience the peace that God has. And so as we share in communion this morning, I mean, the whole message of Christmas is in preparation, is, is the buildup for ultimately what Jesus would do on the cross. And that's what we remember in communion is his sacrifice on the cross for us. But his coming at Christmas is, the, is preparing the way for that event. And, and Jesus went to the cross so that we could have peace, peace with God, and that we can have peace with fellow men. And, that, and so I encourage you today, um, as we share in communion, to think about, you know, one, how am I doing with all the cares and the worries that I carry with me? Am I really letting God have those? And two, where's my focus at? My prayer is this Christmas season, your focus would be on Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. That's where we begin to experience peace, is when we take our focus off of the world and can put it onto our Savior. And so this communion time, I I pray that you can do that. I'm going to pray, and then we'll share in the elements. Um, But my prayer is that you can experience that, that amazing peace that God has for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you had a plan for bringing peace between yourself and mankind. And that plan involved your son Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one, the coming Prince of Peace. And he did indeed come, and he did indeed um, live his life, a perfect life, and he, and he truly sacrificed his life on the cross so that we could have peace with you if we would have it, if we would accept it. So Father, this Christmas time, this morning as we share in communion, help us to, to experience that peace that you so beautifully and wonderfully offer as a gift to us. But Father, we have to take that gift. We have to choose to, to give you our worries and cares. We have to choose to focus on your son. Father, help us to do that. We thank you that this Christmas and what it represents, we desperately need your peace, Father, in a world that is troubled and dark and filled with everything but peace. So thank you, Father, for this time and for your son Jesus and what he's done for us. We pray all these things in the beautiful and wonderful name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Okay, so if you have your communion supplies ready, we're going to share in the elements. And so... As I recall the, um, the Last Supper when Jesus initiated the first communion with his disciples. And he said, take this bread, take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup and when he had shared it among them, He said, drink, drink of this cup. This is the new covenant in my blood. 
as often as we get together, drink this cup in remembrance of me. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, you know, this week as I was preparing, and actually the last couple of weeks as we were all living through the stay-at-home order during a Christmas season, <clears throat> I was really um, at peace. And I got to say, after listening to John and uh, speaking out of Isaiah, and then the idea of just rejoicing in the Lord as um, as we have opportunity to do. And then to hear Barry speak of the peace that Jesus brings us, uh, the word that springs to my mind this morning is delighted, that I'm just delighted that the Lord has brought us all together in spirit, even though we weren't preparing a bit together this week. And I see that happen a lot um, when we're preparing for Sunday services, but man, did I see that this morning. It's so delightful. And um, so I, I come before you this morning um, feeling that we're confirmed that God has something different this morning, even though it's much the same, right? Because the story of baby Jesus doesn't change, hasn't changed for thousands of years, over 2,000 years, and, and yet it has, you know. But this week, I want to bring to you what I believe the original nativity story was, was just an intimate moment in time. Last week, we, we took a look at Luke chapter 1, and I talked about how um, Zacharias and Elizabeth ended up uh, becoming pregnant with John the Baptist and how amazing and fun that was and how Luke was writing his gospel to try and provide a pivotal moment in time where he was reaching back to show that, hey, all of the Hebrew scriptures, what we today call the Old Testament, all of these are being fulfilled right now, and look what's going to happen. So it's like this pivot that, that Luke was making in time that was so different and so amazing. And in that same spirit, this week, I want to stay in Luke chapter 1, but what Luke has done in that chapter is he talks basically about the coming of John the Baptist and then the coming of Jesus, and then the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus. And so last week... We concentrated on the sections of Luke 1 that were about John the Baptist, kind of heralding, kind of a, that prophetic voice um, out of Malachi, if you um, remember that. If you haven't seen that message, I'd really encourage you to go back and, and listen to that. But that prophetic voice that is bringing us to this moment that will become the future. And so this morning, we're going to talk about that moment itself and what it has brought to us in the future. So the first thing I want to look at is uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 36, or 26 through 38. And I'm calling this an intimate pregnancy announcement. This whole message, as I've prepared it all week, God has kept telling me, using the word intimate, intimate, intimate. And it's not a word that I'm super comfortable with. 
because it's kind of a loaded word and I am not the most self-confident person in the world and so someone knowing me or being with me um, or having a friendship with me that becomes more intimate that gets to basically know who I am more and more while I'm not hiding anything it, it's weird it feels awkward to me because I'm very much a uh, sort of a standoff person in some ways. I know a lot of people would disagree with that, but in my spirit. But God just kept saying, Scott, this was a very intimate moment. And then he said to me, he said, you remember that moment, Scott, when you and Kathy were at the doctors and they told you, you're pregnant. And all those emotions that rushed into me with the first baby. Now, the second baby was important too, Samantha, if you're listening. But that first baby, you just didn't know, right? You had no experience about this. If you haven't had children yet, you don't know fully what that moment is like. But I had that moment with Kathy and everything in a moment changed. It was like this huge swirl of emotions where I'm like, whew, this is real now. Like this happened and we had planned it, but there's no turning back now. And what does this mean? And I, uh, I had to take a, a driver's license, but no one has to take an exam to have a baby. And I didn't. So uh, what do I do? What do I do? This baby's going to die, whatever, you know, and I had all this swirl of emotions inside of me. But mostly it was this overwhelming, intimate moment with Kathy where I just thought we are now parents we are going to be a family. We're going to become something beyond dating and married and living together. Uh, we're going to bring a life into this world. And the life is going to have repercussions for us and for the world and for the person that the life is, right? And I think in, the, in Luke chapter 1, we get, this, we get this really intimate moment with Mary. And God has it recorded and this is a really private moment. Like when, when Kathy and I went to the doctors, we didn't take our parents. We didn't take our friends. You know, we took nobody. We didn't want anybody there. It just seemed, it just seemed natural that it should only be the two of us. And so we were there and we found out and we had this very intimate moment that no one was even aware of yet. No one was even aware of yet. And Mary has this same moment with the angel Gabriel, starting in Luke 1, verse 26. And I'm going to read that now. Scripture tells us now in the sixth month, that's of Elizabeth's pregnancy. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel sent from God to a city in Galilee, was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very confused at this statement and, and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, wow, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This very intimate moment between just Mary and Gabriel, granted a very different moment than Kathy and I had with a doctor, Mary has by herself with an angel, but it's this very intimate moment. Have you ever stopped to wonder why didn't God come to Mary when like Joseph and his family and Mary's family were all having dinner together, right? Because then there would be a whole lot less questioning involved. Everybody would be very clear, oh no, this is an angel of the Lord, this is for real. But instead, he came just to Mary. And it's interesting when Luke writes this, that he focuses on Jesus and Mary, where, whereas other Gospels like Matthew, they focused on Jesus and Joseph, like the line of David, the genealogies, all of this stuff. But Luke had in mind that intimate moment just with Mary, the person that would actually carry the baby. One of the things in that moment that I had when I found out that Kathy was pregnant is that Kathy was pregnant. We say we are pregnant now in the modern vernacular, and it always sounds weird to me as a dad because we're not pregnant. <laughs> Our wife is pregnant, and all the things that a wife's body goes through and, and and the birthing process itself and everything afterwards, really, guys, we don't, we don't carry that burden. For us, it becomes a role of protection, right? And a role of um, just caring for our wife and caring for eventually for the baby. And that's kind of what Luke is focused on here. He's, he's the one focused on the woman who's actually pregnant, which is Mary. Whereas a lot of the other Gospels are focused on Jesus and Joseph for validity, right, in the Hebrew world, word, uh, or sorry, the Hebrew world, so that they could make sure that they know, no, this is from God, and it's because, look at all these prophecies that related, he'd come from a line of David, all this stuff that, that comes down to Joseph. Um, and so it's a very different focus for Luke, a more intimate focus. And Luke also makes it clear that though John the Baptist would be like a coming prophet and very critically important, right? Remember, it's the same angel. Gabriel came to Zechariah in the temple, and he was the one sent to go to Mary, too. So it's the same angel. But that angel tells Zechariah that, that his son, John, will be like a coming prophet and critically important. But he tells Mary that her son will be Jesus the Christ, 
the Son of the Most High, Emmanuel, God with us. Luke also um, tells us that, you know, points out that Zacharias, why did we have these two effects? It seems like Zachariah questioned it and Mary questioned it. Zacharias struck dumb uh, and possibly deaf for the entire pregnancy of his wife. That would be really frustrating if that happened when I heard about Kathy and I being pregnant or Kathy being pregnant. But Mary doesn't have anything happen to her. But when you look at it, Luke is trying to make it clear that John or Zacharias was definitely, he wasn't believing, he was skeptical that that could happen. Whereas Mary just wants to know how it's going to happen. And then uh, Mary responds in a spirit of, all right, well, I'm yours. Do with me as you will. Um, which is just such an incredible surrender of self, especially for a woman and a baby, especially in those days Although there'd be slight echoes of that in these days, if you had what people would consider to be a pregnancy from an Ill, in an illegitimate way. But it's different. It's different. She just accepts it. It's like, it's such an intimate little setting in an intimate moment, right? Just Gabriel and Mary. Like just the doctor, if you will, and the, and the woman who just finds out she's pregnant. But there's so much more with Mary. She's a virgin. She's in a Hebrew culture that would stone her. She's just been engaged to her husband. And they, the engagement lasts an entire year. And yet she's not allowed to be pregnant during that year. And they don't live under the same roof. And so it is with each of us in God too, right? When we meet Jesus for the first time, when we begin to follow him for the first time, it's really intimate. And it changes everything. I still remember while I was in this room 20 years ago, I still remember those feelings of God starting to change everything in my life. Everything. Just like when I was, was told that Kathy is pregnant and we're going to have a son or have a child, everything changed for me then too. How's this going to work? How am I going to keep this alive? Do, what kind of car seats do we need? Uh, do we do baby formula? You know, everything, every little thing in my life had to change. How do we balance our jobs? Uh, I'm in school. How do we do that? Should I quit? All these things, go, everything. There's not a corner of my life that didn't change and didn't need to change. And that was the same way when Jesus was born into my life. When I first kneeled down, metaphorically, though I did kneel down at times as well and still do, when I first metaphorically nailed kneeled down before baby Jesus, before this Jesus being birthed into my life, it changed everything. Everything. For the better. As Barry talked about, for peace. As John talked about, a sense of rejoicing. And then I realized I wasn't alone. Like, unlike my experience at that doctor's office, now this intimate moment is happening here with people that understand that, that have had that intimate moment themselves. That intimate moment started here 
when I was put in the waters of baptism and arose something different, something new. The moment started around the corner here in our band closet when our youth pastor at the time handed me a bass guitar, which is still in there, and said, I want you to start learning this. We need this for, we need a bass player for the band. It started, some, these things are all just simple little things. None of them, well, some of them are life altering, but they're all a bunch of little things that were steps in my obedience because I knelt, because I said, you are my Lord and you're my Savior. And so I learned inside of all this that it took this family, this fellowship, this first Christian church, the Morello Hills Christian Church, any church that you're involved in, it took an involvement with that family to get me to grow. <clears throat> Otherwise, I would just flounder around and try and figure it out on my own and certainly get a lot of it wrong. So I had a group of people here in this room and often in my living room at home for dinner or, or wherever we met that were always encouraging me and always holding me accountable and always reminding me of that intimate moment that I had with Jesus when I kneeled before him as my Lord and Savior. And I learned along that way that really all God asked of me in return is that I would love him which was so easy to do. It felt, made me feel a little guilty. It was so easy to love my little son that turned my world upside down when he was born. It was so easy to do that. And yet it was super hard. It was the hardest thing I ever did in my life in some ways. I became a stay-at-home dad when my daughter was born, because I worked in the home improvement field, Simon Home Centers, if you've been around a while, or Ace Hardware and, and Home Depot for about 12 years, and it, it's not a field that makes you a lot of money. And so we determined that uh, preschool was about $200 a month more than my job. And so I just quit and became Mr. Mom. That was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. People, if you have children or you know someone that has children and one of them stays at home, Get around them, because it is the hardest thing that person will ever do in their lives. I am 55 years old now, and it's still the hardest thing I ever did in my life. And the most fulfilling. That's the thing. I wouldn't have had it any other way if I could go back. And I wouldn't have this any other way either, that, that God growing in me was the best thing that ever happened in my life, that it's helped my life. It's made me a completely different person. I like to think in a better way. And it's been done in fellowship with lots of friends. Some of them are, are sitting here this morning, over half of them that were here when I was first a baby in Christ, even because they were still here too. And yet it was still just an intimate moment of Jesus being born into me and me kneeling before him as my Lord and as my Savior. In the next section of passages here, where um, we have another moment. Now, this is the fun moment in many ways, and I think it was a, the fun moment for Mary. Because I also remember when Kathy and I were far enough along where we decided, okay, 
Um, I don't think anything drastic is going to happen. As it turned out, that happened right as he was born. But so let's announce it to our family. And so I still remember barting in to a family dinner in San Francisco. We were all gathering in San Francisco. And um, I think it's the only time we've ever done that, actually. And Kathy and I were very excited. And we sit down around the table. And we were a little late. And, um, and Kathy looked at me because she had asked if I would do the announcement with her family um, because she'd be kind of flabbergasted. And I just said, hey, I'm sorry um, the three of us are late. And then I just let it drop. I didn't say nothing else. And everybody's like, ah! you know, because they knew we were in that mode where we were ready to have a baby. And, and now we had finally told them and there was this huge celebration, you know, around the table. And that moment is just engraved in my life. And maybe moms and dads, dads, we can celebrate this moment a little bit more, I think, because we were kind of just as involved. Um, we had this moment of celebration, right? Do you remember that? You remember telling your your friends or your family. Now, for not for everybody is that moment a celebration. For Mary, there were times where she, I'm sure she told her folks or Joseph's parents, and that was not a celebration, right? So at least not at first. But we had that moment. Kathy and I had that intimate moment with just our family and our son inside of Kathy where we were able to tell them, hey, there's going to be a new member of our family. And all of our worlds are going to revolve around that, just to be clear. <laughs> and it was the first grandson of our family. And so it definitely did revolve around us for a while. And that was fun and uh, uh, taxing at times, but it was great. It was glorious. And Mary has that moment with her cousin, Elizabeth, who is now pregnant with John the Baptist. And, and what's interesting is the Bible kind of points out that as soon as Elizabeth heard that she felt that she was pregnant, she secluded herself. And it never tells us why. But basically, um, theologically, we believe that she kind of just kept to herself during her whole pregnancy. And you can kind of see that when uh, John the Baptist is born, it's kind of a surprise to everybody. I mean, she didn't hide it, but it was a surprise. But now she's six months along. She's, you know, imagine yourself, ladies, six months into your pregnancy. You're, you're just starting to uh, have a lot more inside of you, right? The baby's getting bigger, and it's getting harder to do things. And, and husbands, guys, if you've been a dad, it's also a moment where you're, you're just trying to take care of, of your wife. I remember feeling, I still have this feeling to this day, I hope I don't creep out pregnant, ladies, but I love the sight of a pregnant woman. It just, they glow to me. And the thought of what they're blessed and at times cursed to be able to do with their body, to grow a human inside of them is just amazing to me. And I was, I grew up until I was only about seven, but I grew up in Texas and Oklahoma. And so there is kind of this Male chauvinist side of me just wants to protect him. Just like, get behind me. We'll be good. I'm going to make sure you're good everywhere you go. I'm going to open doors for you. I'm going to push guys away from you, whatever it takes. And I don't know any of these people, but I, I was able to do that with my wife. But it was like this fun, glorious moment, you know, for, for um, Kathy and I to be able to share that with our family. And Mary does this with her cousin Elizabeth. So here's what it says, beginning in verse 39. Now, this is right after Gabriel told her and told her that Elizabeth is six months pregnant. Now, at this time, Mary arose 
and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's an interesting phrase there. And she cried out with a loud voice. So she yells, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt, leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. I think the reason why we're told that she was filled with the Holy Spirit there is she's saying a lot of things to Mary that she wouldn't know otherwise. Like, blessed is she who would have believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. It's pretty apparent that this is right after Mary's encounter with Gabriel. And so she's not had a chance to share this really probably with anybody, maybe with Joseph. And so Elizabeth had no idea, but she did. And I think that's where um, the filling of the Holy Spirit comes in. But I just picture like this moment, like I did at that moment in San Francisco around a restaurant's ta dining table of telling Mary, telling Elizabeth and Elizabeth just being super excited, right? And then remember dads and moms, um, you can remember those moments where you're sitting on the couch and the baby moves, you know, and the moms are always telling you, but you rarely, you know, are there when it happens. But I remember having those moments on the couch in an apartment in Rockland where we lived at the time, and she'd go, oh, put your hand on my uh, belly right now, Scott, hurry. And then I could feel that baby move. Or I'd be, this is the one that was crazy, it's still kind of is crazy to me, but I'd be sitting on the couch and maybe Kathy would have her belly out trying to cool off a little bit and I'd see it move. And then you're like, whoa. <laughs> or you'd see almost a foot heel print or a, a hand knuckle um, come out. And you, could, you knew what was inside. It was your child trying to, be born, trying to grow, right? And I, just to think of Elizabeth having this John the Baptist move in her belly like that you know, and like, wah, and filled with the Holy Spirit, and then she can't help, she's so excited, she can't help but yell, right, to loudly exclaim to Mary all this stuff that's going on. It's really great. And there's another thing I noticed in here. In verse 42 here, it says that Elizabeth cried out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So basically, this is a blessing for Mary because of her unique circumstance with Jesus, right? But in verse 45, she says, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And I immediately thought, that's me. Not her, but me. Blessed is Scott, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to him by the Lord. There is a God. He, he's going to send a Messiah. That Messiah has been born, and his name is Jesus Christ. It's Emmanuel, God with us, right? It's like this intimate thing for me. And that offers there for you, too. Blessed are you 
who has believed that there was a fulfillment of what had been spoken to you by the Lord. As that baby grew inside of Mary, for me it's like those moments of Jesus growing inside of me, right? As I stepped into my walk more. And I'm a very cynical person. I just want to put that out there right now. I am very cynical. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. I'm cynical. But I'm cynical in what I consider a good way. I want to know the truth in life. And I don't want to be bombarded with untruths any more than I need to be. I'm going to be. That's the nature of our world. That's the nature of the COVID situation we're in right now, I believe. But, but I, don't, I don't want to be bombarded by this stuff. I want to be bombarded by the truth. And so my initial following of Jesus was very cynical. It was, mm, he tells me to give, but of even my money and my time and my talents. But man, I'm a stay-at-home dad. I'm following, I'm taking care of two kids. I just want to collapse every day because it's so hard. And we don't have any money. I'm renting a house. Uh, we can barely make rent. You know, just to be transparent, in the eight years we let, lived there, two of our checks bounced, our rent checks. And our landlord was wonderful and said, you know, they understand, just bring us another one when you, get, when you can. And so it was hard for us. And so to think, about, to think about giving money to a church, you know, when everybody seemed like they were doing fine, was hard for me. But I saw in Scripture that that is asked of me, that I need to make everything in my life a priority. And money is very important to me, even to this day. But it needs to be shifted into a way that serves the Lord, whether that's a tithing at a church, supporting a missionary friend, getting blankets and jackets for the homeless, whatever it is that I need to make that a priority in my life. And my time, you know, I need to get up for church and come to church on Sundays because if he is the Lord of my life, if I have kneeled before him, and then I don't even have the, time, the, the energy to get out of bed and get dressed and get those two little kids dressed and then get down to church on time and to be involved there, which was this room. My son was baptized behind those doors as well. My daughter came along later. You know, that's a lot of time. And I only get the weekends. And you know what? I don't even get those because I'm working at... Home Depot, and they work you Saturdays and Sundays sometimes, and it was hard. So I had to tell my work, don't work me during this time because I'm a follower of Jesus, and that's what I'm going to be doing during this time. And that became a witness. And also just being here, being reminded that you're, you're surrounded by an intimate group of people going through the same thing was always building me up. And then just this desire that God put in me to go teach children in what's now known as Miss Lucy's room, room eight. I still remember the room I was in. And I remember our pastor at the time, Bob Gleason, being really resistant to that idea because I'm a guy and I want to I be in a room alone with a lot of little children and I'm not really well known in the congregation yet and I'm a new Christian. And I actually had to come in, have an appointment with him, and just 
hammer away at him for an hour until he said, okay, well, I'll let you try it with a helper, you know, or go be a helper here. I don't remember how that worked out. But eventually I'm leading a, a, a group of kids myself, and that eventually leads into me being a children's pastor and a youth pastor at a church I go to later on in the years. But during that time, I remember I'm so tired of kids. You know, I'm raising two kids. I just want to get away from it for a couple of minutes, right? And yet, like we have here at, at First Christian Church, we have Jamie Davis, who stays at home with her kids all the time, and yet she's involved in everything and always willing to help anywhere she can. And we have Sarah doing the same. Now, she works a full-time plus job, is home with the kids right now, and still wants to be involved with the church. As a matter of fact, that family will be our actors for the live nativity scene, if you see that video on Wednesday. And Christina, and I could go on and on, Terry. And, and it's not just the women, but, but particularly the people that are considered kind of the primary caregivers of their children. Kathy Swan, and uh, I'm sure Susan Leary. Um, I was here not during that time, but um, I know that that's what we do because God has built this into us. It's not just our money, our tithes. It's not just our time showing up for church. Nowadays, that looks like what you're doing right now, making church a watching <laughs> a priority, but also talents. God has equipped me to be a stay-at-home dad no matter how tough it is, and I'm equipped to help little bitty kids. And so I find myself in the living room cutting up little construction paper wells to teach them about Jonah and teaching my kids while I'm doing it or, or whatever it was, learning curriculum in the wee hours of the night because that's the only time I had or in the break room at Home Depot and everybody's like, what are you doing? And it became a way of showing my faith. But it's these, it was intimate moments of growth after I was equipped, and after I kneel, kneel, kneeled down <laughs> at the feet, if you will, metaphorically, of Jesus, and said, I want you to grow in my life. And much like what happens with Elizabeth and Zechariah, with Joseph and Mary, with Jesus, with the disciples, with the apostles, with the priests and monks that would follow with us today, December 20th, 2020. It continues to be this intimate encounter with Jesus that not everybody understands. Mary could go in and visit Elizabeth, her aunt, and they could rejoice, but maybe Mary's parents and Joseph's parents wouldn't for other reasons. Mary could be in front of the angel Gabriel and told you're pregnant, and she could rejoice over that. But not everybody's going to understand that when she leaves that room. And I can kneel at the foot of the manger and the foot of the cross, and I can, I can ask Jesus to grow into my life as well, but not everybody has understood the life that I now live. But I do. And it's amazing. I often think of where I was before I was here and before I was there when it was just me 
And it almost scares me to think that I could have grown up without meeting baby Jesus and having him grow in my life. And I'm so intimately grateful to God for reaching out to me when I really wasn't reaching out to him. When I was still a sinner, Jesus came and died on the cross for me. And all he asks in return is that I would love him like parents love their newborn children. And that I would love his family like we love our families. The other thing I noticed was um, when, when we were pregnant, see, I'm saying it now. I was never pregnant. It just looks like it. But when, when Kathy was pregnant, I would sometimes be cooking dinner and look over at the couch with her, and she's just, or in a chair where I could see her, and she's sitting down. She might be rubbing cream on her stomach because it's, you know, stretching. She might just be holding. What, but there's this, this glow about her, this sense of peace about her, and I, I think a sense of, you know, being a little scared, right? But it was this intimate moment that I could not have because I was not pregnant. For me, nothing physically changed, right? But for Kathy, everything physically changed. And we have this moment for Mary as well where where we get to see like this intimate glimpse of her as if she's sitting on the couch and we're making dinner. Although that doesn't make any sense, but we get to see her and hear her experience being pregnant. And we get that here in Luke, and it's often called the Magnificent, and it's a hugely important thing in church, capital C Church, because it's just such an example of of someone just giving literally their entire life over to God and celebrating that. But in reality, I, I like to think this is just Mary having a moment. It's actually kind of clear that she's still with Elizabeth because it starts with and. But I like to think it's this moment with just Mary and Elizabeth or more likely, or I'm sorry, just Mary and, and the baby. Or it's more likely that it's Mary and Elizabeth. It's two pregnant moms who have all the fears and all the joys and all of the experiences uh, that they both know they're going to go through or are going through, and they're just together. In a way that two dads, when we get together, that's what they make all the funny movies about. Where, you know, our wives are pregnant, and oh my goodness, we need to get all the fun out or whatever. that we, You know, whatever your silly movie was. But you have this intimate moment between two pregnant moms. And Mary says in verse 46, My soul exalts the Lord. Elizabeth has just been filled with the Holy Spirit. She knows that this baby inside of her is going to be someone that is going to be a prophet heralding Mary's baby and his Lord, right? So she's probably saying the same thing. Mary says, my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. She uses the word Savior. For he, God, has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. 
For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. She has that human moment. And for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and he's exalted those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He's given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three more months and then returned to her home. And it's a little troubling because a woman pregnant for three months is going to start showing usually, if I remember right. And Mary's going to return home showing. But for this moment, for this intimate moment, her and Elizabeth, I can just, I can just picture their faces just like beaming smiles that show all their teeth because they're smiling so hard. And they both are hands on their, on their bellies. And Elizabeth is feeling John moving around already. And they're just like having this moment of worship to the Lord just because they're pregnant women. And because the Holy Spirit has filled them, literally, in Mary's case, has filled them with joy and knowledge of what's going to happen. This is really interesting. If you look at this from a Jewish perspective, it struck me. I love the character Samuel in the Bible. He, um, he's the author of First and Second Samuel. And uh, 1 Samuel is basically the kingship of Saul. And 2 Samuel is basically the kingship of David. It's not quite that clean cut, but it's close. But his mom, Hannah, was also older and barren. And she begged the Lord for a child and said she would devote that child to the Lord if he would just allow her to be pregnant. And he did. And so she did devote her son Samuel to the Lord, placed him in um, priesthood training as a very young boy, and Samuel grew up to be the prophet Samuel. And if you go back and look at 1 Samuel, I'll just say chapter 2 so you can find it easier, but 1 Samuel 2, Mary's song echoes a lot of what Hannah said. It's an uncanny. If I didn't know better, I would almost say it was planned. And Mary, it may have been planned in the sense that Mary and most, follower, most Jews of the time were so, um, so consumed by Scripture, had memorized so much of it, had read it so much, much like many of us Christians um, that are years down the road. Or when you're a brand new Christian, you just can't get enough and you just keep reading and reading and reading the Bible or listening or watching whatever your way of absorbing God's knowledge is. So that was happening in, um, in Mary's life just naturally, and I think she knew Hannah's song, and she probably resonated with Hannah in some ways too. And in her song, it's also interesting if you pay attention because she's actually demonstrating, whether by the Holy Spirit or herself, I don't know, but many qualities of God that we'd all do really good to remember. That God exalts the humble. How many Christian people, I'm one of them, started out poor, at times homeless, 
um, or just humble in spirit where they couldn't find a person that couldn't find a community that um, they fit into or were, were just having a lot of issues in life that God exalts them in today's world, I believe, not only through his presence, but through the presence of the fellowships that he provides to them, the churches. God also scatters the proud. I don't know how to put this well, but as a pastor, I think there's a lot of Christian people. I know there's a lot of Christian people that I've encountered, including encountering myself, who are proud of what they're doing um, when some of what they're doing is not something to be proud of. A lot of people that claim to follow Jesus, and yet I'm not sure Jesus would recognize them as one of his um, by their lifestyles. And so I think it's important that God, to remember that God scatters the proud. When we're, when we're doing anything other than kneeling to Jesus in our lives, it's stuff we're doing on our own. And it's not that it's all bad. Much of it is good. But we have to be careful. We can't become proud because pride brings a whole nother set of things in and God scatters the proud. He brings down rulers. I think this couldn't be more appropriate than 2020 and 2021 because we've had a presidential election that is not good, you know, that uh, perhaps had a lot of false voting in it, perhaps didn't. We don't really even have a way to know. I don't know right now who is our president. I know right now it's Trump because he's finishing out his term, but for me personally, it's not clear who actually has won. It's pretty clear that one candidate will be seated, but it's not clear that that's right. And so I think it, this is a reminder that God brings down rulers, that we all fret about this stuff and we need to be involved in it. We need to make sure the right things are done. But at the end of the day, we need to be praying for our leaders and, and trying to get God to, to, to bring his will upon them and to bring truth into our society and into our governments. And that God sees that stuff. One of the reasons I'm extremely glad I'm not a, a government leader is because there's a whole lot of responsibility that comes with that and a whole lot of judgment. Just being a preaching pastor brings a lot of responsibility and potential judgment on me. And I'm always careful about that. It also says that he fills the hungry. I have mixed feelings about homelessness, believe it or not. I, all I know for sure is we need to love them and, and care for them as much as we can. But I also know there's reasons a lot of times that they're homeless that has been from their own pride or from following the wrong things. But ultimately, we have to remember that God fills the hungry. Religion, true religion is this, taking care of orphans, people that don't have families, and widows in their distress. The poor you will always have with you, Jesus said, right? And he didn't say it like, so forget about it. He said it like, go take care of them. 
That's all that matters. Also that God sends the rich away empty because it's not riches that God is interested in, not material riches, right? I love seeing this because in this room, and I like to think any room of God's, any church, you can see people that are really wealthy and you can see people that are really poor and we all love each other the same. That doesn't really even come into the equation when we gather together. I love that because that's the way it should be. And where Hannah in her song was focused on the poor being exalted, actually here Mary is really focused on seeing the exalted, the bad exalted, toppled from power. Jesus is going to level that field for all people. It doesn't matter who you are in this world. When we go into eternity, it's not going to say where you have a place in heaven. We're all going to be a level field. I, I think of John the Baptist being said about him that he would, he would lay level the plains, right? He would level the mountains. He'd prepare a pathway for the Lord. God isn't looking at, at who's the best pastor, who's a pope, who's a priest, who's a, who's a uh, you know, just someone meeting him for the first time, who's a guy who's really into social justice, who's this woman over here who really just always helps his children. Those are all good, and, and good things in different ways, but he's just looking at who you are. He's more intimate than all the ways that we look at people. I think if you were to spend a lot of time with me personally on an intimate level, just really, really knowing me well and me knowing you well, I think you would, anybody would think differently, hopefully better, about me than they do right now when they know me on somewhat of a superficial level. That you could be confirmed what my moralities are. You could be confirmed what my beliefs are. That you could be confirmed in my passion for God. And you could be confirmed in my desire to love other people. But you can't really know that until you know me. Because I can say these things to a camera. I can say these things to a crowd. But anybody can do that. It's what I actually do, what I actually feel. And I think that's what Mary and Hannah were getting at, is that it's not about that. It's about your intimate relationship with the Lord. And just like Mary, when we realize in those intimate, private moments of our lives that Jesus is the supernatural divine life living within us that life becomes delightful that life becomes glorious as Barry said that life becomes filled with peace even when it's not that like John said that life becomes a life of rejoicing even though it may seem there's nothing worldly to rejoice about right but it's like God overrides all of that in the intimacy of his relationship with each one of us. We see things more truly the way they are. We have this peace of eternity. I got a cold three weeks ago. It was a scary time to get a cold. And I was scared a little bit. But mostly, I had a peace about me that I know where I'm going. So if I die... I'm good. 
it's going to stink for everybody else, but, or for a lot of people, but I'm going to be good. It's this weird peace that surpasses all worldly understanding. When we bring Jesus into our lives, we know love, for God is love. And it transforms our lives in love. And at times, we become love to other people. And with all of these intimate moments, we live out a sense of like a growing life in us, a holy, a growing holiness, a sense of growing power, godly power. And yeah, a sense of mercy begins to be lived out as it grows inside of each of us. You know, the birth of Jesus was Emmanuel. God coming down to have intimate moments with all of his people. The people that wanted to stone him, the people that crucified him, the people that brushed his feet with their hair because it's all they had, the people that served meals, that took care of people, that said, I will... I will follow your ways. It's the right ways. The people that wanted to love God and love each other more and more and saw him as the way. The people that came like the Magi, if you will, who were from a different belief system, a different place, a long journey to get to him and would kneel down before Jesus and recognize him as the way, the truth, real life, as Emmanuel, God with us. If you are going through Christmas and you're a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you because this is actually a really wonderful moment to be a follower of Christ during the stay-at-home order, which just got extended to January 7th. I'm finding myself, as I stay at home more, having wonderful moments with my wife. Having wonderful moments even by myself when she's working or, or something where I can just stop and slow down a little bit. Those moments are a little rare, but they happen where I, I look more towards being with my household, taking care of projects, taking care of my family. How's my daughter on the other side of the United States? How's my son doing? All the, I have more thoughts, more intimate thoughts than the normal Christmas season that's rushing to stores, that's dealing with following my wife with a shopping cart. I hate shopping. Um, that you know is, is running everywhere, that is going to party after party after party. Um, I just saw the movie Four Christmases. I think I can recommend it, but it's kind of that idea. Where instead of all the chaos and stress, um, Christmas seasons as a pastor, I'm just going to be transparent in my weakness, are some of the hardest weeks of my life over the last 16 years. And this year has been different. As a follower of Jesus, the stay-at-home orders, the struggles understanding what's really going on, the caring for people that I'm learning in a COVID situation, 
and frankly, some of my own attitudes that are being addressed inside myself and in moments with God have been really intimate and, and really wonderful. And I find myself more at peace, more in rejoicing in my life, even in the midst of this. It's pulling the anxiety of the season off of me and just focusing me on that moment where it was just me and Jesus. And I knelt before him and I said, you are my Lord. I see that now. You are my Savior. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Come and grow inside of me and use me, your bond servant, to do whatever you would like. Because whatever you would like is good. Whatever you would like is love. Whatever you would like will defeat these negative, nasty things inside of me and will transform them into something beautiful. And I trust you to do that. And that's what God offers to you this Christmas. If you're a follower of Jesus, rejoice in this coming week. Friday is Christmas. Rejoice in this week. Because you share Emmanuel, God with you. God with us. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I don't know how to ask you because it seems so contrary to the world. But I would love for you to receive the gift of peace, for you to receive the gift of rejoicing in this time when you probably are pretty strung out. To receive the gift of love of Christ being born into your life and beginning to grow. And it's glorious and it's delightful. And I invite you to consider it, to come to the manger this Christmas and meet Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the Most High God, Emmanuel, God with us. Let me pray. Father God, whew, I thank you for being a father. And I thank you for your son. I thank you for living this out in each of our lives, for having a consistent story from Adam and Eve becoming parents and the struggles that they had, all the way to Kathy and I becoming parents in our struggles, and everyone after even that have come since. For all people who have struggled through their lives, I just thank you for birthing your son into us and teaching us how to nurture and grow him as we do our own children until we become his child and your child. I pray for anybody listening this morning that doesn't know you on that intimate level, that you would, you would whisper to them, that you would lift their faces towards you, that you would turn your face to shine upon them and bring them peace. I pray that you would bring people alongside all of us, but especially those who are just turning to you this season, who have been following you longer to be our to be our counselors, to be our encouragers, to be our accountability partners, to just be people that will love on us. Because, man, this world needs more love. It always will. 
And I thank you for being that love. And I thank you for this season, for the birth of your son, for Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, everybody.